0: It's the Literary Lectures Podcast, Kings of Horror episodes, reading and digesting books from the masters of modern horror, and viewing the films. Your co-hosts tonight are Vicki Ray,
1: Leandro Ghazi, Frank Johnson, David Grant, and Keith Shaw,
0: giving you a word by word, scene by scene, everything in between, everything in between, everything in between, and everything in between.
1: Welcome to Literary License Podcast. And today we're interviewing Stephen Langford, who is a scriptwriter for television and film. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the Literary License Podcast. Hi, how are you doing? Good to have you. Fox. And of course, we've got Vicki Ray here with us and myself, Keith Shago. So, Stephen, I thought I'd, um, we'd start out with um, what got you interested in scriptwriting and writing in general?
0: Uh, that was a teenage thing. Um, It really, I have to say, it probably started with Star Trek.
2: I saw that you were a Trekkie and that you wrote a screenplay at 14.
0: Yeah. What an
2: overachiever.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. um, It's a kind of a common story uh, among, you know, like you kind of know. I was watching this thing about drummers and literally all these rock, rock and roll drummers, they all did the same thing when they were little kids. They were all like playing the pots and pans in the kitchen and, and a lot of writers, I think, you know, they just, in their teenage years, it's just, you just know. And, um, um, but yeah, I was right. I was, uh, Star Trek kind of got me into it. And then I started making little movies in, in you know junior high.
2: Um, Is that with your uh, little Super 8 camera?
0: Great cameras. And then the TV shows, TV shows in high school. And then, uh, um, uh, then I, uh, I had an internship at Logan Airport Boston. And then I realized, this is why my mind gets a little devious. And I said, oh, wait a minute. There's a film bureau in Massachusetts. I'll get an internship there. i am do one more internship. So I, I got an internship. And this is where they handle all the movies that came in. And um, then, I, then I got to visit the sets. And the first set I was on was Coma.
2: I was going to ask you, what was that like? Because Michael Douglas was in that.
0: And- it was, well, again, I am I was, you know, uh, a kid and and um, and, uh, and uh, I'm a kid and there's, there's Michael Douglas. And I'm, oh, that's him just walking around. And this is like about oh, cool. miles from my house. And then Michael Crichton was directing it. And like, oh, yeah, the guy was like 6'10", literally. Oh,
2: my goodness. I didn't know yeah,
0: that. I know, not many people know that because he's a very tall man. And um, then the location manager saw me and said, oh, do you do PA work? And I said, yes, not knowing what it was. And then she asked me to work on a a sequel to Love Story as a PA. So, again, I was, like, in this kind of, like, I would think I was in college at that time. But uh, uh, there was this alternate universe I was kind of living in of where, you know, like, they said, Steve, go down and wait for Ryan O'Neill to drive the car down. You know, And they wait, waited down there. He drove down to me. They said, cut. And Ryan O'Neill said, get in the car. We'll drive back up. And I'm sitting there looking over. There's a movie star next to me. It's like very strange. Yeah. As rich, it was, uh, but I, I'm, uh, the great thing about doing that is that you get at an early age to understand the politics of everything, of how that whole world works real fast, especially at a young age. So, did that, I did the verdict with Paul Newman and Cindy Lumet. And that was actually an education for me when I directed because I I realized that there's one of the greatest directors in the world. And he was doing three takes and then turning the camera and doing three takes. I go, Oh, that's interesting. He's not taking a crazy number of takes. He's got it all organized. So it was a good education. Um, which um
2: did
0: you work on Oliver's the, story? Oliver's story, yes.
2: Oh my goodness. That, I mean, those were all
0: tearjerkers. <laughs> yeah, the tearjerker thing. Uh, and then, um, and also the great thing is you would hear all the stories about the films the other people had done. Um, I mean, Ryan O'Neill was talking about how he just done Barry Lyndon with Stanley Kubrick. So there were stories about that. So you're hearing all these different, like, not only were you part of the story, but you were hearing the other stories surrounding you and what the, the history of what everyone had been involved with. And it was quite, um, it was a good initiation it was like, like you know just you know, throw myself like th- being thrown into the pool you know basically and, and, and learning oh this is how all this stuff works And um, though I do remember as a writer the time I picked up James L. Brooks from the airport at L.O. Pakula because they were scouting starting over but I remember them driving over to uh, the south end of Boston and i heard them talking about the character it was joe kleber's character in the movie and it sounded like two guys were talking physics you know to from my age i thought oh my god i'll never be able to do this i mean what are they talking about i know it's english but i don't understand what they're saying it was really very very daunting um and but you come to learn as a writer, as time goes by, you begin to talk like them. You know, I, I think of the conversations, you know, that Paul Genie and Greg Nicotero and I have about Creep Show, And you go like, oh, oh I'm kind, we're kind of talking like those guys did. that <laughs> I didn't understand. And I was like, we were talking in, in, in uh, shorthand and references and all these sort of ways. It was like, oh, well, this is just, I guess, old fashioned knowledge. <laughs> that just creeped in there. But yeah, Beautiful. so I did, I did those, and then I started doing, working as a I I parlayed that to be an assistant to uh, the writers on the TV series, Silver Spoons. And um, that, uh, again, was also strategic, because they ended up hiring me as a writer. Uh, um,
2: Didn't you go back? You left, and then you came back to Silver Spoons?
0: Or yes that's true uh the the what happened was i um norman lear sold um a company and uh we were <laughs> we were in sunset gower i believe and we heard that and, I, and they said well, well you, you're gonna get a bonus it was about christmas time you get the christmas bonus the christmas bonus was at like 350 bucks an extra week's salary so i'm sitting on the far side and um today is the day that they're getting about the bonuses. And uh, we hear, I hear screaming coming from um, the other side of the uh, building. And then I hear another scream, another scream. We <laughs> went, like, what the hell is that? Um, and then the person arrives with, with the check. And I open it up and it's $5,000. Now, mind you, I was getting to so dollars a week. That was my reality. Now there was $5,000 sitting in my hand. I said, okay, I quit. I'm going to go right. So I went to write, Paul Dini was doing Ewoks at Lucasfilm and gave me an assignment, my first assignment, doing that. And that whole summer, I just kept selling scripts that I would tell my, my mentor who worked on Silver Spoons, Jim Gagan, every time I sold a script. And well, because that's kind of how he had done it. He was so impressed that when the opening came up, he hired me as a staff writer. So I did. I came back, you know, left as an assistant, came back as a writer. It was like, you know, kidding. You know, yeah, it's like you couldn't. It was like there were. It was like there were you know, elephants, and people throwing stuff in the air it was a parade as I came in. You know, it was kind of crazy, but um, um, that really was. Uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty pretty amazing how, had, how it all worked That is
2: an amazing story. How did you didn't
1: find
0: you? working in the uh, being a writer for television? So yeah. Well, oh, that was the uh, one of the best jobs you can have. Uh, best job in the world best job in the world you know i mean it was just like especially in comedy he was like just you know you're basically laughing all the time um you know i mean it was like it was uh he got some good friends and um, we ended up um doing um uh I ended up doing family matters with that same group of people and did that for like nine years which you know which was terrific Lots of success with those, too. Lots of success with that and, and, and lots of fun. And, and, and again, it's up when you're on a, on a lot, when you're on the Warner Brothers lot, you're flying the wall. You know, you're, you're, just, you're, you're around all this, all these incredibly famous people. I mean, I remember we moved. The, the old story was, was that whoever moved in next to Family Matters would get canceled. And it was true. Every show that guy was next to us got canceled. Then ER moved in. Baiting oh, right. me, answer. Um, <laughs> but I remember it was like, it was a thing of like where George Clooney was just a working actor. I remember he had been in Facts of Life or, or Roseanne or whatever. Right. He used to work an actor and he, said, Hi, and he introduced himself and he said, I'm George Clooney. He said, I'm Steve Langford. And every morning he was like, hey, George, hey, Steve. Like, and then he was, the show got more more successful good movies. It never changed. He just was the same guy. He, he had no, he got no, no airs about him. He was just like George Clooney. Hey, George. Hey, oh, whatever. But yeah, it was just a lot of funny an- anecdotes about those days about just to, just mm-hmm. you just would see the Friends cast every day just, you know, randomly it was a campus, was like a college campus, except it was filled with movie stars and TV stars. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, quite a, it was quite a life.
1: You also worked on a show called um, Small Wonders. Yeah, What <laughs> was that like? Because that, that was one of those, um, I guess you could call it a comedy sci-fi, I guess. It's yeah. Odd shit. Yeah, That's that was
0: became popular for a little while. It was a It was like, it was, it was such a, it was during that summer. I started selling the first time I started. I just literally, I was like, I pitch, I'd sell, I pitch, I'd sell, I'd sell. I'd sell every place I pitched at. And it was just like crazy. Um, wonderful. And just like, oh, and, you know, these checks were for that time. Like for me, like what, what am I looking at? You know, this is actually you know, I was where I could get, well, okay, well, I don't have to worry about the rent for the next six months kind of checks. Like just, you know, so I was just kind of, I was kind of grooving in that life, which kind of cool. And um, uh, that was uh, uh, Howard Leeds, who had done different strokes, Was was uh, who had, he had, I mean, create, uh, had the created by Credit and Silver Spoons, but they worked across from us in the bungalows. We were in the bungalows down where Amblin is now. Amblin was, I think, actually to the side of us and um but uh howard had got a new show small wonder and uh i i feel like friends got me into pitch and it was a very nerve-wracking pitch because howard was so tough you, you had to say a pitch and they'd be followed by what were you thinking <laughs> you know, that kind of was like oh my <laughs> god you know all the other it was like he was just like so tough and then I finally had to land upon the one they wanted to do. Like, That's great. Okay, let's do that. And they figured it out in the room, and I walked out with a story. And then my uh, two, the writers helped me get it. Uh, get uh, the side had said to me, he "Goes well." The good news is you sold it. Now the bad news is you have to write it. And saying, <laughs> so, um, but it was again. You were just sort of and, and yeah, It was. It was a thing. The show was a thing. It was just that one episode I wrote, and and it was a thing from for. for I remember my my landlady had said, oh, "What do you write for?" And I remember just saying, oh, "I said, small wonder." She was, "She was lathered all oh, you did small wonder." oh said, "I and I was like going and I, and but but she looked down upon shears, but small wonder was like you know I'm like okay alternate universe I don't know whatever, uh, you know.
2: It was certainly oh. the decade for for sitcoms.
0: Yes. yes, I mean
2: that was that was just major. I don't think they. Crank them out like everybody did back then.
0: Oh, you know, it's it's it's. I often say it's like the thing is that when something begins to make money in Hollywood and it's really good, and then there are people that want to interlope and come into it to make the money, but in fact, end up killing it later on. Right. I think basically is what happened. Um, uh, someone was talking about the death of comedy in some article and I was like saying, dude that was way before that it's like it's like what once it, once once writers were making you know 20 million dollars in back end and 10 you know this then everyone who had no business being in it is jumping into it and it just becomes wow. you know yeah
1: now you were also involved in the um, the new wave of animation with the show tiny tuned adventures what was it like oh, yeah, that was from, that that was Paul, I too. know
0: that's so cool. Yeah, that was because Paul was my roommate in college, so we're very close, very tight, and we did that. Did a, I think about did three of them? One I can't remember which one it was. Just a strange that there was one episode that I co-wrote that they accidentally didn't put my name on, and then they put my name on one that I didn't write to make up for. Oh, I. I don't remember which one it was, and I, if I asked Paul, he wouldn't remember either. Because it was like, it was like it was such. I mean, I I know I wrote the Acme Football one. Uh, uh, I remember that one, and I, it's like, but it was the other two. How that how that all got switched up, I don't I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But we were both at. I was at Warner Brothers on the lot. He was at Warner Brothers in Sherman Oaks. They had like they were at the at a mall actually. They were at the Galleria and they had built this whole, you know, animation place that was out there. That's where he was.
1: I just remember it was Tiny Toons and Animaniacs. They were like the Animaniacs.
2: Two, yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember the song too. We're Animaniacs. Yep.
0: Yeah. I oh yeah. I, I, I visit. I visit them quite a bit. Um, but I was, you know, Paul was doing was doing animation almost exclusively, and I was doing sitcoms. And that's one of the things as a writer, just sort of. Uh, you know you you kind of land where you land uh and then you go like okay well let's see where i can build off of that i mean for our listeners
1: out there i mean paul is the one who is instrumental in bringing the phenomenal
0: batman the animated series to television is that correct? oh yes yeah. yes it was it was very instrumental in, in, um kind of the legend of what it what it's become and uh mm. Uh, that's he was uh, I mean I I was not I mean I I was in the room so I don't know all the the pertinent details but (laughs) but he's very very much identified with that Mm -hmm. I'd sit there and say I just bought
1: all that whole series on Blu right now oh (laughs) i I to sit there and say out of you know you know hats off to him but out of all the incarnations of Batman and everything like that that's probably the best series that was ever done on television so I
0: think that's uh I praise it indeed. He, uh, no, he's a, Paul's a really talented guy and, you know, I you guys meet
2: Emerson college.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think one of you guys called it. I think you guys quoted in another interview that, uh, it was a fish farm for Hollywood talent.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> like you, you, it was just like, you go, was just uh, in hindsight nuts, you know, you go, you know, it's like, it was, uh, um, the guy who wrote the fisher king was there and got the oscar i believe um and uh um there were uh, there was at least six or seven or eight tv writers that came out of that that group our group um a bunch of actors i mean the first i mean gina gershon was there um the first year i was there she may have been finishing up i think um but it was just like it was a. I remember Stephen Wright. We would be Stephen Wright, the comedian, who would take the the little tram around the school. And we said to him, So, Stephen, what are you doing, going to do here? And he would say, Well, I'm going to be a stand up comedian. You know, the whole, and we're like going, What's he nuts? What's he? This guy was like this strange guy. He's going to stand up comedian. Of course, he was one of the first guys to take off. But a lot of people, a lot of people, it was just like a, just extraordinary how many people did. Uh, that did really well from out of that school, out of that time.
2: Sounded like the place
0: to be. Yeah, you didn't know. You didn't really know you were at the place to be but you just thought this, was, this was normal. <laughs> it's like, that's like, well, I guess this is what it's like, you know? And, and then after, you know, high, uh, after years go by, you go, wait a minute, this was, that's nuts. That's got to be something in the water here or something. It's just not, doesn't seem normal to me. You remember a lot of um, teenage,
1: um shows I would call them teenage shows, stuff like, you know, the Nanny Express and Romeo and um Saved by the Bell. What was it like writing for um
0: teenage characters? Well, Tommy wasn't that far away from it. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know it's uh uh although naturally Nanny Express was more yeah there was that that was more actually age for older people but um but uh um that was just like what you know when you were uh, when you got into sitcoms that was really a lot of the big thing that you're doing were teenage characters um you know steve urkel and oh
2: um, yeah yeah they were all
0: that was like you you had you lived in that um uh in that world and you did draw from you know draw from um your your uh uh experiences you know i mean i i, I wrote an episode to steve urkel learning how to drive a car um and i it was difficult for me learning how to drive a car and i guess subconsciously that's probably where that came from right? i was like like I said well it's, like i that yeah, steve is
3: brave.
0: steve's turning 16 so he's got to have a car so i had to drive a car and then it became but and then that, i said but it can't be a normal car and then it became very then everybody that the production became got into it and they were like yeah, what Steve Urkel's car looked like? And they began searching. and I, you know, I I didn't, I just, the only reference I just said was, I think, wasn't there a Pink Panther movie where Clouseau drove some strange car? And that was all, I mean, I didn't, I, I can't take credit for what they ended up with, but they but they went around, found the BMW Isetta, the car that opens the front, three-wheel car, it was like, and it literally was when you drive the car on stage, the audience would laugh, because it was a character joke. Um, but they had they, they nailed it, we had fun with that. But that's you know, part of us is like it's teenage stuff was recent, was relatively recent memory in those days.
2: Who doesn't relate to Steve Urkel <laughs> with this dance and everything, and just this whole oh, yeah. demeanor? It was totally brilliant.
1: Well, he's appearing a lot in um TV shows at the moment, so. It's appeared in quite a lot of those reality TV programs. Is like, well, I saw him on
0: actually. He was he was in a, a Clint Eastwood movie we saw the other night. Yeah, I uh, know uh, he's making. We're, we're starting to see more of him now. Three really?
2: Which now. Clint Eastwood movie?
0: Uh, the the French terrorism thing.
2: Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: he plays it. a teacher in it. You really? know, I mean, he did very well. I mean, good from the, th- those days. So he did very very well. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, I remember he, he really had it, had it, his head squared on straight because he had said we were in the dressing room and he comes rushing in and he lands on me. And I said, he's out of breath. I said, what's wrong? I was just at a Clippers game. I go, what? Okay, so what's wrong? And I said, well, the game and they got to halftime. And then the announcer came on and said, for your halftime inter- entertainment, uh, uh, rerun from What's Happening, <laughs> and the guy with the red beret and the you know, came out and did his, did his popping walking dance. And Churchill said, Don't let that become me. <laughs> and I, it was like, and he did. Was, he was like, He put that was his awareness of you know, this is maybe he was, I don't know, 14, 15. And was, I don't want to be that guy. I just like it, just it, just it was like it ran chills through his spine the idea of like oh i don't want to have to do that you know and um but it was never i was never going to happen he was just like he wasn't gonna you know
1: I was, i sit there and say i think nowadays things are a bit different i think in the 70s and 80s and even before that if you were stuck in television and let's sit there and say you had a catchphrase or whatever you kind of never could get out of that but i've noticed now there's an of fluidness between television and film
0: now. Totally. Well, film. yeah, I mean, it's, it really is sort of like, it's, it's, uh, it, the boundaries are like, it's like, okay, how many people only have done movies as actors now only exclusively do that. And it's a very short list. Yeah. Um, it's just so a very short list. Do you think it's got
2: interchangeable?
1: you think about, things yeah.
0: About- just about it's 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 because of streaming and and big big screen tvs and um, things have changed the the,
1: the audience are a bit more brighter now i mean it's like you know Back in Once, the day, if, if they saw, let's say, Elizabeth Montgomery shopping, they would expect her to twitch her nose or something, you know, for some reason, or they see a soap opera character, uh, you know, in the shop, and all of a sudden well, got, they would accost them because of their character, and they're like, because they couldn't.
0: They, they, I don't know, that
1: still does happen.
0: <laughs> that still does happen to a degree. Um, I was walking in out of tra- Trader Joe's, and the star Brace Danby was walking in, and she was wearing her hat down and tried to be. And I sort of looked at her and smiled. I knew who she was, but I was not going to bother her. I mean, it kind of depends on where you are. If you're in LA, if you're you're not likely going to be bothered. Yeah. There you go. Know, like, like, uh, Lady Gaga I was it I was in Malibu. Lady Gaga walks in, but she's like wearing black clothes and looks like anybody else. She's not wearing anything weird. And I can hear it's like, oh yeah, that's her. But there's no one bothering her. Um, I used to I go to a place I was, in. Uh, in uh, I noticed
2: that the few times I was in California, that people see them walking by, and people just leave them alone because they're just so used to seeing celebrity.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It depends how they show up. Because a friend of mine um, w- was directing Phantom of the Opera um, when it f- when it first opened here in London, and he sit there and say, "Like Annie, Annie Lennox showed up with her mom, and they just sat in the audience. It's not a big deal." Cher and um, Tina Turner showed up in their fright, you know, the great big wigs and everything. Like that. Oh, no. And of course, <laughs> See, they got well, noticed, didn't they? So I guess know, all the, about, you know, you kind of know when you want to be noticed and when you don't want to be
0: noticed, it, and how you want to play that. The thing is, is that it's sort of like, as this is a real weird example, I would go to this doctor. I had gone a number of like procedures at one place, and there was this nurse. I ran into her at a coffee shop. I don't recognize her because she was not wearing her, her gear. And I had to go, like, so when, uh, so if you have branded yourself a certain look, if you take that look off, you can walk around freely. Mm. No one's going to know who you are. You know um, what was it? Um, who plays the um, the uh, matriarch on Downton Abbey? Um, British it, uh, actress Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith. And someone had said, "How is it been being on Downton Abbey?" And she says, "I had a perfectly normal life before that show." <laughs> <laughs> because I think she was one of those actors who basically could just walk around and know what I, I, I assume all that is very put on the, 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 the her voice and so on and so forth. And I think that she just like, she was, she gets noticed now at this point in her life. I mean, I, I did a movie with Gene Wilder in the heyday. I was a PA on the movie. And uh, the AD said to me, take Gene over to the post office to get his stay ups. And we were in Harvard Square, um, in Cambridge, and I walked with him. He must him. have been so recognizable, though. <laughs> by. Listen, I walked with him. We walked. No one turned their head once. He walked up. He went up to the postman, not me. Said, "I need some stamps." The guy said, "Sure." Gives him his stamps, so and we walk back. And I'm because I was nervous, like, "Oh my God, I got to protect the movie star." No one noticed. It. <laughs> so I'm going. Wow. Oh, that's just crazy. And I'm going. That's really interesting that he was, I guess he wasn't branded with a look that people didn't recognize him. I, I didn't I couldn't even figure it out. But later that day, the director, Sydney Portier, and Sydney, they said the AD said, could you take Sydney back to his car? We gotta get to the next location. So I walked Sydney Portier, we were in Central Square in Cambridge, and we went over to the car. And the door was locked. The, 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 the teamster had gone off to do whatever and had locked his car. And we turned around and there were the residents of Central Square who just re- all recognized it was Sidney Portier, And they were like coming at us slowly like shambling zombies. <laughs> and, and I'm going, okay, the fear that I had with Gene Wilder, which t- going to be unfounded, has now become true with Sidney Poitier. Like, what am I... This college kid's supposed to do with a mob of people coming toward the director. And a very, very, very iconic, famous person. An icon, I guess, is the key thing there. Hollywood loyalty. Yeah, Hollywood loyalty. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? But he knew what to do. He knew. He understood his power. And you know how he was how he could smile, that Sydney Poitier smile. He just turned it on and they backed up. He said nothing. He just did the Sydney Poitier smile. They backed up. The teamster arrived. Off we went. Just he just he knew he knew what to do in a crowd. And a lot of them, I think, they do know what to do because they, after a while, they go, "All right, well, pit, hit, uh, throwing a fit isn't going to work." There's you they get bad, they get good at crowd control if they have that particular issue as an actor. Not all of them do.
1: I think it's also the difference between old school and new school as well. I think old school they have you know if you look at. You know, Cynthia Sidney Portier or James Earl Jones or someone like that. They know how to command. You know, they 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 just have well, this aura around them. But basically, all they have to do is give a look and all the crowd will either or
0: you know, the yeah. The Actor was doing a movie with Will Smith. Um and she was uh and they decided to go to some tour in New Orleans. And it was Will, his wife, and my and the acquaintance of mine, and apparently they got there, the whole in the line was freaking out that it was him. So he just said, look, you know, it's me. Yes, it's me. Let's do the tour. When it's over, we'll do autographs and pictures. Everybody settle down. So in other words, I think the people, they figure that if, you, if you, you realize the situation, how your life is different as an actor, and they figure out, okay, this is how I have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And they, they deal with it. And that's it. Now you went from writing um
1: t v shows and stuff like this, which you're still doing, but then you went and did a um well i guess what we call now what we used to call mini series or i guess what's called limited series nowadays called the Miracle Boys is Spike Lee What was that experience like
0: uh yeah, that was great um, uh, i uh, uh i would uh i think Kevin Arcady had produced it and um I had actually gone to, I actually had a flight in New York to talk to them about it. Um, and sort of writing in that, in uh, that sense of, you know, uh, f- uh, teen fiction, you know, that, that kind of, and, and exploring that world. Uh, that was quite, quite interesting. Um, I wasn't there for the filming of it. Um, but uh, um, that was, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. It was terrific. Yeah? But yeah, it was, it was kind of cool to do. Uh, it was also getting into drama, you know, that was I've been getting a little bit into drama and doing that. And that was a great, that was terrific. Now,
1: one of my, <laughs> this is really, one of my favorite films is Amanda Burns' Love Wrecked, which he wrote. <laughs> Amanda Bynes?
0: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't know why. I, I love um, Amanda Bynes. I think she's, I think she, I think she was an incredible um, actress and an incredible yeah. persona. I mean, it, you know, it's sad that. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that she's retired now, um, in, for yeah. her reason. But I do miss her, you know. Cause, okay. cause, but Love Wrecked was really fun and interesting, and it's um it does show in the UK quite often still,
0: sort of thing. So well, it was a tangible hit in the UK. Um, uh, and I often I beat myself up, but. Uh, up about not going to the UK when it came out. Um, But um, uh, yeah, the, the um, uh, love wreck was the idea that popped in my head. And I think I was doing the show just deal and the other writers, said that's a great idea. You got to write that movie. And so uh, at the time, my manager, uh, Howard Lapidus and Andrew Lear were, um, um, they were getting big in the film business they were really getting they were getting quite uh, acquainted and we had like our kids went to school together and Howard and i were talking and i said yeah i wanted this movie called love wrecked and it's, it goes like this and it's kind of I'm like what and I go and he, turned to, he told his uh his uh andrew was his his junior to him and he said andrew get this movie made so it's like that so with this process development, um, with Walter Hamada, who, um, is big in the DC universe now, a great developer, a great story producer, and we developed the script and went out, didn't sell. I threw it in the closet, like angry at myself, why did I waste all this time on this script? And uh, I threw a little through it in the closet. I just remember it the physical active. But in a way, it was like a way of, a, I let go of it. Which I think is a very important thing to do when you're, once you're done, you've got to let go as a writer. But I let go, kind of out of anger, but let go. And so, uh, Andrew calls up one day and says, um, you got a meeting. I got a meeting. Said, yeah, with these producers, they want to talk about love right? And it's one of these things where a movie, when a movie wants to get made, uh, because there were multiple, there were two different sets of people heading in to the same company with the, by same script, which of course caused a issue with the producers. Uh, I won't go into all that, but um, but when the this company BDA, uh got the script, they said we're going to make this. And uh, uh, Randall Kleiser and I met, went over the notes, did some, um, did some changes. And then it was literally, <laughs> they, from the point that they optioned the script, the point that I was sitting on the set was maybe six to eight weeks, which is extraordinary. And the weirdest, weirdest feeling of, I came arrived there with my kids, my wife, and the cast was all eating dinner, and I'm sitting here watching, looking at all the characters that were in my head the last two years. were so having, having lunch. And it is a very strong feeling of you. You see the crew, and you go, oh, my God, I created all these jobs because I wrote this script. All these people here are working because I, I – you know. It was, it was a, 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 a wonderful experience uh, because it is so rare to get a movie made. But you know that I kind of set out in my career to get a movie made, and finally it happened. Um, was was great. It was a great. It was terrific. I said to say it's very cleverly written. I love that.
1: You know that when she shipwrecked, bases she's only on the other side of the island. The way she keeps tricking that guy. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And it was it was it was it was just that was the hook. That was the central hook that I said I pitched, and everyone said that's hysterical. It's a great idea, and. So so um uh and um so it, it's uh uh it was uh, uh it actually in a way for me as a writer took a load off of like going okay, okay i did it you know i i, I climbed that mountain because i really i came from no one no i i did know one of the entertainment business starting out i had to do it just completely figure it out so it was just sort of to me wow that was a big mountain to climb you know um that was a pretty big mountain and and I I'd surely like to climb it again, and I'm trying to and um but um uh that's why fashion look at screenwriters it's a successful screenwriter they have have had five or six movies produced in their whole career that's considered successful
2: yeah that sounds like such a tough industry to break into
0: yeah i we we i remember my wife and I were on vacation in um, Carmel, and this other couple It's funny. He was my wife has been a unit manager and this lady was something similar to that. And her husband was a writer. He was a screenwriter. And he was a guy who literally, I think wrote movies that were not produced for his whole career and made a very good living. Cause where we were staying was not cheap, but there are people that do that. They'll write and be, it's, quite ex- extraordinary but yeah they'll they'll write movies and rewrites and nothing gets produced
1: Well, you also wrote and directed she's with me what was that yeah. like to write something and then actually direct it yourself because so far it's like when you are a writer everything right. kind of is left to the director It's kind of the director's version of what you write but this time well that was
0: sort of uh, uh my buddy robert Donaldson who does who a pretty screen show started a company so he said let's make these like low budget movies and I want you to direct them. I said, "Great," and um, uh, and uh, the great thing was was um, with time, I was getting. You know, I, I knew I, I had I had gotten that sort of um, the experience of um, of knowing what was a good take very quickly in that way that. They said, "City Lumet." As uh, 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 I said, in city. As I observed, City Lumet. I said, "Oh yeah, you know, I could do it like that. You know, I, 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 I really, I really can get these in two or three takes." And it was, um, and it was just this thing of again, kind of satisfying um, a desire that I'd had, you know, certainly since film school uh, to. Um, uh, uh, direct and um, uh, and it's a quite a tactile thing versus writing. Uh, you are just managing people, you are, you are trying to see the future, seeing the problems before they happen. Um, <clears throat> uh, and I did it, uh, and uh, you know, I. It's one of those things. are going. It's sort of like love record. Going. I, okay. I, I climbed a mountain. You know. I I don't mind climbing again, but I'm I'm glad that I I, I climbed it and succeeded with it. Um. Uh. I mean, it's like that was the thing. It's like for me, it's sort of the. I guess it's so many things that are, are like uh, the expectations of like wow, you know, you actually I actually. These are things are going. I really thought of this thing that seems kind of a little I'm just juicing up here a little bit. Sorry about that. You're right. Um, yeah, because you don't want me to go. You don't want the screen to go black. Oh no! One second. <laughs> <laughs> the um, no. So it is this whole. This is the sense of, of all right. I you 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 at a, at a kid level. You think, oh, I want to do this. And do adult love you go, whoa, this is really big what I'm doing. And like, and, oh, this is, so to me, it's like, it's like these things when they occur, it's like, oh, I did, was persistent and I kept doing it and then it finally happened. So it's sort of like, uh, so it's not like this sense of, well, why aren't I doing it all the time now? It's more like, well, I did it and I'm going to do what I want to do if it comes up again, you know, I, climbed, I figured out how to get up to big the film, which was big baby, which was the, the, um, biggest of those films, which was the most yeah, successful. i asked you
1: about that actually. I mean, <laughs> it took on a lot. I mean, that was another mountain executive producer, director, writer. Now you're
0: casting, filming, and worrying yep. about the money side of things. Jack of all <laughs> trades. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, I, I, my Robert did the money thing. Um, he was very good at that. Uh, but uh, it was uh, uh, that was the film that was like going. That was the film that was kind of like in my in my create my head was like oh that this is my, this is my 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 film that I uh, my film school you know final project you know, in all the weird way it was sort of like and there was I remember Martin Scorsese had said something not that comparing the film to anything he's ever done just saying it's a quote from him was that a, a successful film finds its audience true and and that's that's it. And I go, you know what, that's the truth, because it really isn't about me, it's about them. And when I looked up on YouTube, it had reached like 4 million views, I could tell them voodoo was like, also, hundreds of 1000s of people had watched it. And I saw the comments, which is a really different thing for a writer to be able to see people real time going what they thought of what you did. And um, then I look on like Roku, and I see it everywhere, it's all over the place. So I go, all right, so millions and millions of people. And it's funny, my definition of success for that film was so funny. It was like I don't know if you saw Bowfinger. Yeah. The Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy movie. And his definition of success was that UPS truck would be coming around the corner with an offer for a movie. You know, (laughs) that was his definition of success. My definition of success, I kid you not, for Big Baby was. That one day on a Saturday afternoon, on a local TV channel in the afternoon, I'd find the movie playing, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and I said, "Okay, that's you know." Well, that, that actually wrap- is good
2: television those time of day. I was we would talk about it every time we're doing a podcast. I'll find something, you know, I'm, it's not streaming, it's not on Netflix or Amazon Prime, and I just turn on a regular TV, and there's a movie, and it's one of those days like this looks good. You know, I
0: think I'm going to say here. Well, I was to be, it was, that was, That's it bad wrong with that at all. No, no, it was like, it was such a straight, it was, it wasn't strange, but I'm going, I, I, I knew. So it, it exceeded expectations of what it would do. Um, and I had a lot of, a lot of people saw the movie. And, and, and um, so to me, it was like, I could feel satisfied. I mean, primarily I'm a writer that more than director, but I can do it. I can do it pretty well. But, um, uh, it was, I, I it was a thing where I couldn't say, Oh, re- regrets, regrets, regrets. Oh, I did this. I didn't do that. And I'm like, Oh no, you went out, you know, you were a kid from the sticks in Massachusetts and you went out and you, you did TV shows, you made movies, you know, you don't realize it at the time what you've done. I mean, sometimes it's like, uh, I was getting something copied and, transferred some eight millimeter transfer to, 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 to discs and the guy working the place was looking at my imdb and goes you did a lot and i just sat there and i said i didn't think i did a lot and i go yeah, i guess i guess it is a lot it and but i don't look i kind of don't look backward i'm always looking forward to the next thing um so it's sort of like it's you know the next thing became horror you know so that's you know, I've been working Which in
2: you're that. Very good at <laughs> Actually,
0: saying. I wanted to ask you
1: just one small question um about Big Baby. And what was it like working with Marie McCormick? Marsha. Oh,
2: Brody? no kidding. Yeah. You know, it's that's funny. A-
0: she was on some reality show. I can't remember. But I remember thinking to myself, I really would get along with this with her. I like going I, and that's like a strange thing. So I went to an agent, and they said, well, I got this, this part, this mom part. And he goes, uh, and I got three actresses. And it was uh, uh, one of the Star Trek act- actresses from Next Generation, played Tasha Yar, um, and uh, Maureen McCormick, and someone else I think from a Disney Channel sitcom. And I said, well, guys, this is what we got. And they said, well, get Maureen McCormick. I said, great. And then I mean, wonderful, just great. She was just, just, and I was like, yeah, I got along real well with her. We're just going, it was just great. It was wonderful. She's just a terrific person. And I remember we talk afterwards, and she said, she said, um, I said, well, I said, what are you on? Are you on Facebook? She said, oh no, no, I'm not on social media or like that. Oh, okay.
2: Might not be a bad thing. So said, this is,
0: yeah, this is, before, this is before we knew what we knew. But but no, actually, I said to her, I said, look, I said, uh, Maureen, just talk about puppies and kitties. That's it. Yeah. About, like That's like puppies and kitties.
2: Puppies and, and kitties. Nothing
0: yeah. that's going to get you in trouble or or into a thing. Goes, oh, okay, she goes. No, I don't think I want to do it. I said, okay. So then I'm like sitting one day, my Facebook says Facebook friend request, Maureen McCormick. I said, oh, she got on. And then late, late one night, she calls me up. She goes, Steve, so what? I, I I open this thing up, and all these people I don't know want to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I have no clue about this. They're probably all men, too. <laughs> I said, no, there was a like, It's just like, they're always fans. It was like, oh my god, I said, what, do I do? what do I do? I said, I go, oh, wow. Well, I said, you know, you. Maureen, you don't have to accept the friend requests. Yeah. You don't have to. You can pick and choose. And I got 5,000 of, 5,000 of them anyway. 5,000 of 5000 Well, at <laughs> least
2: up to 5,000. Because she was like every oh, my, my brother's big high school crushes when they, back in the day, it's like it wasn't, you know, crushing on Maureen McCormick
0: like back then. So it was so funny. And I said, well, uh, what are you going to do? And She said, well, uh, said, well, this is uh but she's like going, I don't know. So it's like, uh, what do I do? I said, it's real simple, Maureen. You just don't let them in. If you don't want them, you can pick and choose where you want to let Whether that's your up to you. And then she pauses for a moment. She goes, Ah, screw it. I'm letting them all in. Click. <laughs> and then, so she had, suddenly was filled up. And then she calls me the another night. What's wrong? I said, They don't believe it's me. Who? Facebook. <laughs> they don't believe it's me. Oh my what am God. I supposed to do? And I said, Well, my nephew, who's great at this stuff, lived near her. And I said, Well, let my. My nephew Matt. You talk to Matt. He'll kill, he'll get it fixed for you. And Matt came over and got it fixed for her. And then um, now it's she has something where it's just like where it's uh, Maureen McCormick fans. Right. as a thing where all the people come in and she can. Someone's managing it, I guess, or whatever. But it was funny. That's how she got on Facebook was because of me. Nobody believes it's her. That's really sorry. <laughs> yes, you
2: get her on there and everybody doubts her integrity. <laughs>
0: it, it's, it's funny, my Facebook, because I, I have so many people in the industry online that you you do get some contact in these weird ways. And then you sometimes will see where well, they think, oh, I can go on to this and everyone will be normal. And they don't act normal. Like Jennifer Lopez could tell it was like some break and she went on to Facebook. And it was just like, you know, said, what do you, say? it was just like people were like being people and not being particularly nice, of course. And she was trying to like deal with it and like, "What well, you can't, don't, you can't, you being you, you can't do that.
1: No. Well, social media is not real life either. It's so. not. <laughs> me, it's easy to hide behind know, something that no one, you know, but. You know, but if you see these people face to face, they'll be totally different than what they're Yes, do. exactly. Oh,
0: and like, it's it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just sort of, I could see that she was struggling with these with yeah. what they were saying. and People, people are cool. Yeah, it was like, it was like I, I was, I was just like, and I think it was with, now, like, I have Michael Douglas on mine also. But he just talks about nice things and what's going on with his life. And he did, I made a comment on one of the funniest things in Kaminsky Method. He liked it. And I was like, oh, Michael Douglas. But, you know, I was like that kind of thing. It was like, but it's a... It's, uh,
1: Minsky Method is pure ace entertainment.
0: Yeah. Eddie Gordeski was one of my, one of my, one of the guys who was at Emerson with me, um, mm. who just, you know, just took off. Um, and uh, that was one of the shows he worked on. But yeah, that show's great. Now, going to the dark side, let's talk
1: about Creepshow, which uh, is yes. doing phenomenally well on Shudder. <laughs> we're into the third
0: season. Yes. How did you get involved in Creepshow? Well, what happened was, was I made an independent film. This company called Taurus to picked the film up, a film called Warm Blooded Killers. And yeah. I became fast, fast friends with uh, Robert Duddleson and Jim Duddleson, who owned the company. And they had inherited the movie from their father. Wow. Uh, who had, and he had basically been at a bunch of different companies that had collapsed and he ended up owning all these different films. One of them was Creepshow. So, uh, we had talked about Creepshow for years about trying to get it going again. And this was after we had Dream Factory, which we were doing the little films that Robert was approached um, I think mean, uh, that someone wanted the rights to so get Stan Spry wanted to get the series rights and they worked out a deal and Greg Nicotero wanted to do it and off it went. So, um, uh, Robert had called me there in the midst of writing the first season and he said, well, you should send your, get your pitches in, you know, straight away. So, Paul and I were in Burbank writing, came up with these ideas, about eight or nine ideas, I think. And, um, as the story goes and uh, the fastest, the fastest sale we ever had was we finished Paul wrote up a note to Jordan because William Robert Duddleson about here's of stories. He sent him in and I got in my car and I drove um, on the freeway um, and as I was getting on the freeway, you know, Jordan had called and said, Oh my God, you're great. great. We're setting him over to, you know, the next set of people. So I'm driving on the 134, <laughs> and I'm just sort of, uh, and I get another call from another set saying, These are great. These are going to Greg Nicotero. Yeah. And I'm, like, again, I'm, I'm just driving. And this is my maybe a 15 minute drive. And I get to Reseda Boulevard, my off ramp, and I said, You sold two. So it was like, I was like, uh, I sold. They, they said they're buying this story and that story. And I was like, and I and I, I think Paul will also attest to that. Actually. We've never sold anything that fast. I mean, that was just like sign sealed done. We want these stories, but we're also really interested in this third story they said. So um, the first story uh, was ended up being set aside for skin crawlers, and skin crawlers was. Uh, Born out of Paul had been to, I think, Sumatra. Uh,
2: I read about that. What's that? <laughs> Sumatra. So that yes. was the leeches were falling the out leeches, of the yeah, Leeches, yes. That a great story. Yeah, the <laughs> leeches. He,
0: he uh, basically, it was he'd gone in the water, found all these little red bites on his stomach, and he said, I know, and he thought through his head, I know what if they took out of me, what did they put in? So he said that at lunch, and I said, Well, Oh wow, that's great. What if they put this in? Blah 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 blah. blah. And so we wrote that up. I where that was like probably the first, the first, that was the first idea we came up with. So, um, and we got on with Greg and uh, Brian Witten and worked out the story. Um, and of course, it's very tough when you're doing a new, a new series and you don't have like a baseline of how much can you do, how much can you physically film. and so that was kind of difficult it was it's easier as it goes on because you know okay i 'm only going to do this amount of, this amount of locations this this amount of sets because of time budget constraints whatever but so we were kind of like we' were, so we're finally we got the thing down and we, I was going through like the last polish and I was writing i was typing up the note fixing the notes in the uh, the finale. <laughs> And I was sitting there going, I'm a naughty, I feel like we're two naughty little boys. What we're doing here, this is just going to be mayhem. What we're doing is mayhem. That was a great <laughs> episode.
2: <laughs> that was a really good episode.
0: But the cool thing about it was, as much as we imagined it, we could never see it to the level that Roxanne Benjamin and Greg and everyone made it into. Uh, the effects company, uh K and B, and how what they did was like you go, it's that's the cool thing, is it goes beyond what you imagine, but it is what you imagine. But it goes, it becomes like you, you can enjoy it as entertainment because you're going, I'm saying this, and you're taking it seven steps higher. So that was great. Um and I got to go to set, go down to set to watch that one because that was pre-pandemic days. Uh then the second season was picked up, and then Almost immediately, they said we want to buy the right stuff, and that was the That's third excellent. story. That was the third story. The right stuff popped uh, that came out of out of my head. I that don't was an know excellent where. Excellent
2: episode.
0: Thank you. It a I mean, total I
2: anxiety attack. Do watch that episode. <laughs> I, I,
0: it's one of those ones where going ideas go, well, you can I I can you can construct for the you can know, go look back and go well, this came because of these. Things you reacted to. Uh, right, Stuff I don't know where it came from. But I think we all, Greg, Paul, and I, you know, on the writing side of the thing, we're real deep lovers of the Twilight Zone. You can tell. And,
2: <laughs> yeah, <what laughs> it works like,
0: and let's start like going. And I think that, that on the writing side of it, not on the directing side of it, but I think on the writing side, there that desire of like, yeah, this is our time, our chance to do that. You know, combine it with Creepshow, but do Space Horn, and, and and Shutter was very excited about doing Space Horn. You know, they really wanted, they were very excited about that idea. And um, but the interesting then what thing was was that we go. I think it's filled with Easter eggs galore. I mean, it's just, but it's also was a thing of of uh, really trying to find the the we know why uh, the character did what he did but we know he did what he did. The, right. the writing was the why. And the jealousy, why...
2: Greed, maybe? Yeah, Definitely we, we jealousy. Je-
0: yeah, jealousy, but you're going, what was the narration from the father playing in his head? That's-
2: yeah, that was the best part, though, where he kept saying he wasn't, you know, yeah. adding up.
0: And, and that, that was from a kind of... was Buzz Aldrin when he, they were going to land on the moon. And I looked this. I had actually looked this up. Actually, I heard about it, but I kind of looked into it after I'd written it. Was that his father was lobbying the government for his son to be the first in the moon? And there no was kidding. a thing I didn't
2: know that.
0: Yeah, there was. A, if you look it up, there's a whole thing, and that's kind of. A wow! I will. Where it said all oh, this father dynamic, and I remember that Aldrin had a whole episode, a metal breakdown after landing on the moon. And it was just something all involved with his father. And like, okay, well, that's let's, let's play with that, because that is real. That obviously had a profound effect, um, as fathers can do if they're doing the wrong thing. And um, and so and that just played into it, and then it played it's like the whole idea of you know, your your jealousy is so powerful, you've you've destroyed the world with your jealousy, you know. So I oh, know like,
2: he definitely did that. You just just can't kill the world any more than the world was killed in that one episode.
0: Yeah, we we uh, that was a evolving an evolving thing of of, of finding how to do it. Um, the alien
2: was pretty cool looking too. Oh, alien the alien, was
0: very cool looking. Yeah, the alien was very cool looking, and it just was. You know, one of the excitements about the show for me as a writer is is that you're seeing really a lot of what you a lot of what you write. Out of your
2: head and put because when
0: you're doing sitcoms, you're trying to beat the joke, and everyone's trying to you're you're it's a very anxiety-provoking thing because you have to write a very funny script. So all twelve of you are trying to punch that script up, so it's not all you, but you don't mind because you don't want the anxiety of Monday table read. Nobody laughs, so it's like it's whereas this is that you're going. You really, it's very personal, and 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 it's just like wow, okay. Um. That was really that was great but yeah it was it was uh uh you really went into a deep dive on character on that. and um um and then oh my god joe lynch did such a great job directing uh that um he really brought it um that set that beautiful set it you know christopher drake did this great kind of jerry goldsmith score kind of it's like i think it's easter egg to so many different things it was like I mean, we would talk about, I mean, we were all kind of guess, so excited about, oh, oh yeah, we're thinking about Andromeda you know, Strain. Uh, that was kind of like the inspiration for the set and all these different little pieces that we had a, grown up with and love. We were able to, you know, pepper, they were able to pepper into this, into this episode.
1: Now, the one that came out um, a couple weeks ago, oh, yeah, I mean, that extent. was phenomenon as well. The last, I can't pronounce the name, sorry. Super
0: Buraya, I believe.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now that was, I mean, that was excellent as well. What I like about your Creek yes. Show episodes is that they kind of give a, they're, they modernize for a, a millennial audience or for the audience that we have today, but there does seem to be a 10 nod to Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, and Night Gallery. This last one exactly. reminds me of Night Gallery. And I thought you said that. <laughs>
0: that. It's funny you said Night Gallery because it was like, Paul and I actually will we say, we're talking with yeah, we want this to really be our night Gally episode. You know, mm-hmm. so that's 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 really what want this to be is, is like it's sort of. And we we also said okay, well, not only this we're going okay, we've we've grossed people out in this
2: yeah,
0: in the, <laughs> and then and then we kind of did this very heady you know ex, human exam examination of of of, of the apocalypse. Avarice. <laughs> apocalypse for okay, the world
2: there wasn't no and coming then, back from that one
0: <laughs> this one was we're going we really want to scare people we really want you to be like a, oh shit oh yeah yeah what you you be like like okay this is really like that's this is um uh paul obsessively uh likes different things he is a, a japanese artist a horror artist in Yoshitoshi, i believe uh, from the 18th century, 19th century. Uh, and I'm not an expert. He is. And he went into all these, we we're looking at these books and paintings of these Japanese horror things. We're going, Oh, this is really cool. This would be kind of an interesting jumping off point. And, um, he happened to have noticed a bit of narcissism that's going on in the last, you know, 20 odd years. Just sort of out there. just as kind of from all different courts of, of people. Um, uh, it's like you, you can't really pin it down to one place. It's just that it no. became kind of a a there's an awareness of it. It's sort of like we I mean, think we live with it even with the people we knew. We didn't we didn't know until it was really good, oh, that's what that is, and I really want to stay away from it. So enter Wade cruise, and um that was we mashed Ray Cruz with the Japanese art; those two things crisscrossed. Those
2: were such cool monsters, too. I really enjoyed those monsters.
0: Well, that was just yeah. I go. we going. We're, this was the thing we're going. You know, I don't know what they're going to do, but I know what they're going to do is cool. If we say, "Here is the artwork," you know, this is from this period, and they're going to do their artists. They're going to do something that's going to be cool. I could never draw it from life for the life of me, but. I know it's going to be cool. They're going to jump off and make this, this, this great thing. So, uh, um, uh, so we, yeah, we, we wrote that really like, yeah, we, we really drilled down and we decided to really drill down on one person on Twitter said, I hate this guy he has to die in the end.
4: (laughs) (laughs) He was kind
2: of a jerk. I have to admit.
0: (laughs) Because the thing Paul came up with was the the, the section where he talked about the father who needed a heart for his daughter or, I mean, an operation for his daughter. And the idea that I was going to take this money away and not, I I, I was just going to play with this guy. And that was his joy. And it was, you know, um, And it was kind of like, was you going, it's sort of this guy who's been handed this money. He's not the originator of the money. He doesn't even really have original ideas. It's just there. So, and I thought, we thought that's almost even darker um, that you really want to go that this guy just is, he, the darkness is his his jam and it's his thing and so like it's like let's just go all the way and it's really and Paul said that wrote that wrote that section I was like oh okay this is really dark but but interesting because it just pushes the outcome it really sells the outcome of of the story um, but yeah great deal of and, and and this one was just like yeah it was uh, bit of an out-of-body experience writing it going this is this is really going into different different spaces time cool um, concept
2: it really yeah, was but it was
0: literally it was we sent it in greg goes that's the one we're doing that one we're doing this, this is the one we're doing it was like we've got a bunch of ideas and we're doing that one he knew it was that that's that's and he and jeff january does great job directing it terrific job it was, it was um, an excellent episode
2: What I also
1: enjoyed about your um, creep show episodes is that there's a cause and effect in in your script writing, but there's also, there is a commentary about where we are in a sociological setting, whether it's, you know, skin crawlers, basically about being the perfect body, having the perfect body image and being, and the price that people will pay for that. We do see that today.
2: Because people would actually do that if you presented such a parasite.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like it's...
2: Well, people yeah, do I, get parasites
1: put into their bodies to for weight, um, for weight as well. They get tapeworms put into their bodies, you know, for right? Yeah, so it's,
0: it's uh, yeah, I I think that each the, the three really are, and that is to me, or to us, um, the fun of of, well, again, as it goes back to Rod Serling, really.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, it's really a, a, a nod to his, really his vision that. We can tell these stories, but let's have something that you go, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I may be scared, or maybe like wowed, or sense of, but but I'm getting like, yeah, boy, they're talking about some stuff that yeah, that bugs me too. No, uh, you know, uh, and uh, or that's that's just, uh, and the thing is, it's it's funny, even and I, I from writing on Fail, Family Matters, you know, again in that show, we were just trying to. Make people laugh as far as we do, but then you come years later. People come up to you say, "Oh, you changed my life," or "Or oh my god, I I didn't know being in there." Those episodes
2: were heartfelt and they meant something to people because they were so humanized. Well,
0: well, it made me realize in terms of of what Ash was realizing that I I shouldn't say that we were like articulated this to each other, but we just do do it. But I, I can just say as that what will likely happen with these episodes over time, it's going cool, affect people. And that's by my point is these things affect people. Um, to re- television writing, movie writing affects many people that you don't know. And, and you, and ways that I, I mean, yes, sometimes I've had students come up to me and say those sort of things. I had one guy once said, he said to me, I learned how to speak English uh, by watching Family Matters. And you go, wow. Wow, you know, I go. So then you go. I'm a I said, "What do these shows do?" You know. So I, I think it's the 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 uh, it's to take. And I think as writers, is to take care of what we're saying and what we're talking about because we are affecting things, and we'd like to affect a more positive outcome, hopefully, than a, than a negative one. Um, I mean, not that I don't think television can really affect, say, a negative outcome the way social media apparently can. Um, as we've heard from the Facebook whistleblower, um, but uh, uh, but you know, I'm thinking is the point is that you got this opportunity, um, um, you know, show a slice of life that you know that exactly, you know, you know, I was like, you know, maybe that person that was or uh, that uh, is uh, suffering from weight problems may make. A better choice because to watch the episode, I don't know. I don't know at all. I mean, I don't. I'll, I'll In fact, I'll probably never know.
2: Well, it made but a I, lot of sense because it was it was just so human. Because you know, you got the one guy who was he didn't really want to do it, but he kept eating his burgers and his donuts. It yeah. cracked me up because he kept getting the donuts. Yeah, <laughs> take a right. donut. And he's just sitting there. And then he eats. We picks that off the, the 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 body underneath the yeah, whatever fell on him. And he just picks up that candy and starts eating it. <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> so funny, they them. There's blood all over the place. They, they the dead came up with that,
0: <laughs> that. They came up with that, that. That the ending originally.
2: He was great. That actor was. He did. A band well. The yeah,
0: idea. a friend of mine. Uh, we were both a, we were two, we, He was a comedy writer. A TV comedy writer too. The Simpsons. So we had. You know, we no had kidding. a great time. yeah. So we were. I um, actually went and saw his act at the Largo, LA. He's a very funny guy. But um. Yeah, the thing was, was that in the case of uh, that, they, you know, you go, I'm sorry we couldn't do the ending exactly the way you wrote it. And I said to him, no, you, did, did the monster die? Yes, you know, it's like the same things happened. You just staged it dif- differently because of, and the fact was you kept, you, as producers and directors, they're coming up with stuff on the floor and I think of not on the floor. That go, that go. Oh, that's very the candy machine. Okay, that's really funny, ironic way to kill the monster. Great. Um, so those. Yeah, that's that's why it's like these things are like. Um, uh, they people the 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 crew and uh, the cast and, and the producers and directors bring so much to these things. You know, you're you're uh, the writer. You feel you're like an architect, and um, uh, and then they bring. Uh, they turn it into jazz, you know. <laughs> this poor jazz that's like you go, that you go. I remember White's not by much. To watched it four times. And I go, Excellent episode. It's and go, I go. when oh, I go, it was, so these things. were go. There is a phenomenon, in a, a lot of different art, uh, creative types. With time, you don't feel you created that thing that you created. You look at it like, who wrote that? And I and I certainly am like anybody. That same thing. I'm like, oh wow, that's pretty good. Did Who did that thing? So I think Paul McCartney calls himself a fan of the Beatles because he just looks at it like it's been so long. And he goes, wow, right? right? He's not connected to it in the same like
2: an outside way. entity at this point. He's
0: an outside entity now, looking at these songs. He knows how they were made. He knows how they were constructed, but they're so far in terms of physical time that you don't right? feel. You go, like, you can enjoy it as entertainment. And I uh, the ones on the Creep show actually that happened to me like within seconds. It was just like I from the, the minute I watched them, I were watching skin crawler. My wife and I were watching skin crawlers. And the finale happens, and she both were laughing hysterically. Just laughing hysterically at the mayhem. Like, oh my God, what has happened here?
2: Well, it really was mayhem, you gotta
0: admit. I think we're to react. But, you know, for us, it was just like, we just started laughing. That was our reaction. Like, this is great. This is, oh, my God, we've set this thing up nicely and it just, like, becomes this, you know, complete mayhem. Um, And um, whereas Right Stuff is kind of, like, more of a somber watch. Of like, oh, my God. Oh. (laughs) You know.
2: This is dark. Very dark.
0: (laughs) Very, very dark. and, And we've seen people, you know, destroy themselves, you know, People we might have known personally or even publicly, we've seen them destroy themselves because of things because of what's that little tape running in their head won't stop running and they they just destroy themselves and you sit there going I and that's kind of what the right snuff is about. It's like it's it's living up to your parents'
1: expectations and not yeah, I maybe mean, those it, points. Yeah, yeah maybe
0: maybe someone watches the episode and goes, Yeah, I got a tape running in my head. I got to stop it. Hmm. You know, maybe that's the good outcome. I don't know. The guys, it's like you just don't, you don't ever really know. You're not meant to. It's not, it's like it's, it's, you're given this gift to being able to do this, and, you know, you're not going to get an attaboy. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, always, it's like that. Now you don't go into it for the attaboys, you know, and then yeah. when they, just because of social media, you do get them and see them and, and, um, and, uh, but you just you know, I, I'm grateful for them. I I, I but it's like I'm, I'm going. I still got to take the garbage out downstairs, which my my wife reminded me about. You know, <laughs> I still have to do all of these things. I still do all these normal things. So it's like it's like yeah, okay, great. You know, I'm I'm, I'm glad that it for half an hour or whatever you were like it took you away. Exactly. Just, just
2: that's what it's for, and that's what's appreciated. You know, that's
0: oh. what I mean about you know. That's what I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, I got serious XM, I've been a lot of uh, uh, singer-songwriters, and they, that's what they, they talk about, it, is it did I take you away for four minutes? Yeah. Did I make, you know. And that's so I,
2: important. I, we need that in our yeah. society.
0: It was, I was watching a documentary of Mar- Marlon Brando, who was kind of dismissive of what he did in a way in his career. And then he went through some very tough times, and I don't know if it was the tough time with his kids, but I assume it was. And he said he went to a movie and he realized, oh, because it took him out for two hours. And he realized, oh, this is what I this is what I was doing. He didn't under, uh, he didn't get the real thing, was it's not about him, it's about the audience and about what you're doing for them. And um uh get that, that hopefully it's a gift,
2: you know. That that it, it is.
0: Like it can also it can also be torture.
2: Well, torture, yeah. Depending <laughs> on how you look at it, I guess. I I,
0: <laughs> I had a producer wanted me to rewrite a script, and he sent me a script last week, and I was like, "What is this?" It wasn't like it was a blob of of words that about a store. of so, I mean, it's just the, and, and this guys made these movies, and I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. So there's you know that's that's. That's the thing is that you try to respect your art, and you know exactly.
1: So, how do you how do you like writing for horror and sci um, horror slash sci fi? Do, do you are you enjoying that aspect from writing? To, you know, to it's
0: where I you know. I remember I said I started with Star Trek, and that's really where I started from. I started from, from being fans of Star Trek and Twilight Zone and Night Gallery, and stuff. That's what I i, I that was my entry point, and now I'm doing what I want to do. And, and, and um, that's all people ask me about now. Nobody asked me about comedy. Um, and I'm, you know, I, which I'm like, I'm, I'm, yeah, go ahead.
1: Which do you find harder, comedy or um, horror
0: slash science fiction? I would say, they say comedy is the hardest. Comedy is the harder. Both have to elicit an emotion. Um, but horror is you can get down to like um, finding the dark side and finding, you know, those things that scare people and those ironies. And so uh, if I find if I more, you find easier where comedy is really is you're, you're building comic engine upon comic engine. The idea has to be a comic engine to spit out j- jokes and funny scenes. And then um, those, those um, jokes, you know, the ones that you, know, you got to be like a gunslinger. <laughs> you're, you're like a gunslinger in that job yeah. it's like uh, I, I mean that, that's what it was you know and I, I think part of that why it's kind of waned is because there's fewer gunslingers out there are, That um, so like I uh, I literally don't watch I don't think I watch any sitcoms really oh no I do wow. that's a sitcom the only murders in the building with Steve Martin and Martin Short um <laughs> yeah. it was quite good um but it's quite funny, but it's also it has a real actual built-in mystery that really does hard time to state. And it's written in hardcore mystery um, rules that makes it very hard to figure out what's happening. It's great, it's terrific. Um, but um, um, yeah, I think that the I see I'm gonna I, I believe that the, that the that if you made the 90s comedies again, if you did them the way they did them back then, they'd be very successful today. I think yeah, people would I, like I think people would, 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 because it's, it's, um, they would just eat it up again. I even I know they're doing, the show the 70s show, they're now doing the 90s show because they realize, well, that these things are, I mean, I read some crazy number with Family Matters during the pandemic. How many seconds was consumed of that show? Um, I was like, like 11 billion seconds, you know, it's a crazy, crazy numbers, but no, no, horror is, um, to me more fun, um, uh, more, you can just sort of go, uh, as, let your mind completely open up and, uh, and do, uh, 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 uh it's, it's free, you know, free to think of whatever you want to do.
1: Well, you also accomplished something that very, very few people are able to do, and that is actually combine horror and comedy into one into one script, which you done very, very successfully with Sting crawlers.
0: And if you yeah. ask anyone,
1: that balance is very so many people yeah. try that balance and get it so wrong, but you guys oh, it it's a
0: it's a hard balance. Um and it was just a and I think you know when Greg picked Dana to be Henry. He got, oh yeah, I need a, I need a, a comedy guy who gets horror, which is Dana to a T. Mm-hmm. Dana can talk to you with great sophistication about horror history. I mean, definitely, I mean, but obviously a huge like a comedian, comic actor, comedy writer. So it was like he understood that. I mean, Greg knew that was the tone he needed to hit. And um, but it is. It's like you're going. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's it wasn't. I honestly was not tricky at the time. Um, but it probably wasn't tricky at the time. Was because I think the things were melded together in the start. They were just sort of like they were just the 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 engineering that we either consciously or subconsciously put together. The engineering of that story was just like okay, all great, and um. um the, the hardest thing in that script was finding the trigger for the um, uh, the explosion, basically. And that was interesting. It was like, Paul had one, and then Greg said, Greg said, no, well, let's try this. And then we went into the network, and we had, like, no notes on that script. Like, virtually like, two notes. It was, like, incredible. And the only sense was the trigger. The trigger was still wasn't right. And one, and buried one of the the uh, network notes was something about magnetism. And, uh, and then Paul look, started looking up, because he's, he's totally into anthropology, animals, all that kind of stuff. He started researching. He said, oh, yeah, there is this thing about, about solar eclipse and animals getting crazy. I said, okay, that's it. Everybody said, great. Plus, then it became perfect with the, with the TV show that they were doing. Organically, i fit in. It was like, oh, great, perfect. But yeah, it was like um, it was, there was. It was a stu- we we kind of cut kind and of, we kind of try to anticipate and uh, and try and do all the work and not wait for um, massive notes. It's like you know, do the be responsible for your script, be responsible for your material. You know, you know damn well this isn't going to fly. So why put it in? figure out, the, figure out what you feel is likely going to fly. With, you know, to get this. And um, uh, that's been our process. that we you know. Um, <clears throat> like within the last super I was very careful management of Giza's relationship with Wade. You can fall off the tracks real easy with that. With the kind of guy he is and the situation that she's in, very fine line you got to play. It was like, it's, 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 that's fine, fine work. And we did get notes on it from the network, and they kept, you know, and, and we they, we kept refining it until it was just like, all right, yeah, that's right. That's right. But it's like you just, you can get yourself into a place you don't want to be, and you, you don't want people to miss the point of the whole thing. Because then, now she kind of works as a person who's sort of saying, this is not good for me. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm out, you know, and... Um, but it, it does, she does show, you know, his reality. And, and also, we get to see that she seen obviously, she's had this very, you know, charismatic guy around her, but he's never told his truth to her before. And when she hears his truth, when she talks about, oh, my dad bought my first painting. And he goes to this dark place of, like, whoa. You know, and if your boyfriend goes like goes to some dark place, you got you you know the, the girlfriend starts backing out of the room, like, yeah, I think I'm uh, I'm kind of done here. <laughs> you know, it was like it was just like it was, yep. it, it was the key to all that. That's why I think Giza Giza worked and and but touched upon what you know what happens, and then her saying, "Hey, so long, Charlie, I'm done, and uh, you can keep your places." uh wanna, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I know parts this, of this <laughs> part of this you know because on top of it he's acting crazy because the creature's appearing and he, she doesn't she's not seeing it so it's like that combined with his all his dark his dark place it's like you know no
1: and his lack of humanitarianism on at the, at the top of it all, yeah, all yeah. But. Yeah.
0: but it's to me it's, all, it's Giza is kind of like the person who's like the audience saying no I'm saying no to you to everything Goodbye. and
1: Yeah. Money can't buy everything.
0: No. It's like, it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it can be a dark, money can be a dark thing, obviously. You know, I mean, it's, 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 I was watching um, Dope Sick on Hulu with Michael Keaton talking about the opioid crisis.
2: I hadn't seen that yet.
0: Oh my God. Oh, that's really good. Uh, Really good. But it, it often, it made me wonder. It's in the nineties, and it's like Bill, Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs were making all, all this money because they had invented something. Or they, right? You know, they collectively invented a whole new thing. Um, but a thing that wasn't like dangerous. It was just like new, a new way to computers and phones, and oh, okay, all this stuff. It wasn't like like something. But then I think is that there is there are those. That in different industries feel well they're making billions we should be making billions with what we do well they invented something new what you're in if you watch dope stick you go you, go, you kind of wonder like wow well, you know what what was dri- really driving all this is that you're going yeah these other guys in tech were making crazy crazy money because they had been all, all this new stuff that was groundbreaking uh, and um, so, if you're in another industry and you're rich, wouldn't you think that I should be the same way? Well, why should they be the richest? And but depending on your industry, I think this is what dope sick kind of is, is, is getting to. Is interesting? It, you can't play that game in every industry, no, because some industries it's very dangerous and Agreed. Uh, and, and um, this was. Uh, you just, you're, you're just jaw-dropping. I'm like, wow. This was, this was how someone thought. So, what do you got planned for the future? Yeah, uh, what do you got in the pipeline? Well, uh, I finished a novel called The Stars of My Damnation. That I sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a uh, 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 publisher. Uh, I've been talking to a publisher, and he says, like, he's read the take on it and said it's really interesting let's, I gotta get through Halloween but I want to I talk to you after Halloween about this book so I said on the book and I'm going um, so that may be something I'd be uh, deeply in, uh, involved in doing that uh, I, the the fortunate unfortunate things about when you're in the world of horror and science fiction is, is you're like sworn to secrecy in so many things you know uh you know i have this one movie with a very big director attached uh with a, a big ip which is um it was uh and it was truly a script that that i felt in that set the way about who wrote this? I felt that way about this before anyone has shot anything. And it was with uh or with this uh, new writer uh, and um, named Zach Stein, and uh, uh, we we just sit there going, Well, this is crazy. And then we sent it in, and the one producer was making notes and read, and you could see the notes get smaller and smaller, and the pen stops. It's like oh, they're totally lost in the script. And it was just um, and it was based on like something from, from a late writer and I, I was saying, going, well, I got like some kind of like supernatural thing going on in the script because it's like this is crazy. Um, because literally we got a director like that. I was like just boom. It was like just like he read it first person, yeah, I'm in. And um, uh, and so now we're in the process of getting things set up but it's it's like awesome. a, but it's just a very um uh uh well the spook, one spooky thing up i finished the script i finished it I finished, finished the script and send it in i'm sitting in this room and i hear like the thud on the floor <laughs> on the floor in here and i look around nothing has fallen well the only thing that could have made the sound was a thud like a, something heavy hitting the floor, but there was just nothing on the floor. And I was like, going, well, maybe I got this right over my shoulder or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, it was. So I went on to the next, I was developing another, like a family uh, movie, young adult type of thing. And and I felt myself, rewriting, fixing it right fixing it like and I'm going god it's just not like the last one because it's just the last one I was like it just was like butter was, the, the notes were like min- minuscule we, everything fixes just they just came like boom and this one was like oh, I was struggling with it I was, I was getting it I feel like I was getting it and I was, but I was over and over and going and I was I was really and I said to the producer of that this other one I said You know, I I, I'm struggling because I'm 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 comparing my comparing to what went on with uh, that script. Like it and I'm like this isn't the same. I'm getting it, but I'm working much, much harder to get where I need to be. There's something weird and unique about the script and I I just feel it and it's weird and I, I don't I everyone has kind of read it and went, jumped up and down. So I'm like, okay. Um, but it's but it's another thing. It's all like like this love wreck. The time was not the right time when I finished it. It was two years later. That was the time. It happened and it, it just like a freight train. So if there is a time, there'll be a time and then, you know, but it's got a lot of good people around it, so I'm happy about that. Um, I have a thriller uh, that's... Uh, um, on a producer's schedule to be made, so I'll see what that how that happens, and then it's a sort of uh, um, we're talking to other friends and meeting and talking about doing other projects, and um, so
2: there'll be things coming down
0: the pipeline. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, been, uh, yeah, we've had uh, Paul and I've had uh, having still having numerous conversations with people about different projects, and it's just sort of just like going sort of. Uh, opening up all these different lab avenues and, and uh, it's great. Um, uh, just, uh, uh, just basically, I think the great thing for me personally is writing what I want to write. That's,
2: that's, that's the important thing.
0: Yeah. You know, because I would had a meeting with some company about something and I didn't want to write it that much. Uh, and it was and I got kind of resistance and I'm going, no, yeah. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm like it's it's, it's like a, a I I can do try and do all these things, but I'm going you know I'm having fun with this and I, I love this stuff and um, um and I I feel as a writer I'm where I'm finally supposed to be uh, whereas I don't think I felt that way earlier in my career I feel like that now you know um. And not that I would take those days to sitcom writing. I mean, there were some fun times. I mean, just, and again, out-of-body experiences of, I remember one day Tim Conway came over and hung out for like 45, 50 minutes, you know, talking to us. That sounds like a good hour to me. I, and I'm like, okay, this is this guy that I would watch with my mother and parents on the, the Carol Burnett show. And he's just sitting there hanging out with us talking and telling stories. Gary Marshall, same thing. You know, these kind of things would happen. That was the, the one of the amazing things about that time was just like we would just be, you know, they were doing Hook next to us when they make that film, Next to Family Matters, and the door was open. You could see the whole set, and you'd see everybody around, and um, good times. And I was just like, yeah, it was just, uh, it was just the, the interactions were just like they're they're greater in and the time and you remember like well, wait a minute you know this was this was just I, again i did not grow up with this my wife grew up with this having been lit, uh growing up out here but it was like this was just just really crazy just constantly seeing people sometimes interacting with them see my friends interact with them hey, there's regular people where are people and whatever i mean uh, and i remember was i just remember one thing with two of the writers of the family marriage were chatting with each other and robin williams was walking the other way and he said a said waved and said hello and they ignored him they didn't they were too involved with their conversation you look kind of sad that they hadn't. <laughs> i'm like guys didn't you just said hello to and they just was it was just like this yeah you were you were in this world this this fantasy world of of uh i mean you could i don't if you could. Walk in a door of Warner Brothers and get in the Batmobile. I was just sitting there and some just I know. It <laughs> was like, oh, cool. <laughs> there's just like, oh, the Batmobile, get on in, take a picture. You know, that was it. You know, I mean, it was, it, it was, uh, uh just, uh, 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 it's pretty crazy. I mean, I remember Quentin Tarantino would be, a, we were on like. Like we we were like on that thing where you're on the, you keep running into somebody, and I was literally I would run into Quentin Tarantino over and over again. He knew my name, I knew his name. Um, uh, uh, and but that was just like that was this uh, uh that's just just the strange thing about business, uh, especially when you're on the studio lots. Now, I haven't been to the studio lots in about, I don't know, six, five years or so. Um, I haven't been, to the, uh, so I I don't see it that much, but when I had such a fill of it. It's like, <laughs> um, no, it's just the, <clears throat> just the
2: new the, endeavors coming. So I we guess we'll be waiting for those.
0: Yeah. But- I mean, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah. We're, 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 uh, Really getting into these things, and there are people that are excited about certain stuff that they are like really but kind of like
2: We will okay. be watching.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah, and and then again, you know, with, with creep show, it's like working for the CIA. You know, you can never talk about what you're doing.
2: Well, yeah, well, that's understandable. You yeah, know, you I mean, never
0: ever. It's like it's that's like the walking
2: dead, you know? Yeah, that it, stuff's like airtight. So airtight,
0: no. It's like it was like they I remember when skin crawlers, man, they, they said they, they didn't let anything out you didn't know anything they knew what it was and how kind of reaction they have because they, they watched it but they were like was just like nothing a little tiny bit and because they knew what how, how how much fun it was but uh yeah, yeah, just have, like, if you don't hmm?
1: i had the same problem as well because i write dialogue for computer games so you sign an NDA and you kind of like can't say anything, and then and then about two months before it comes out, then they have like, okay, now you can say something, and you are kind of going, but this is what you can say, this is what you can't say. It's like okay, so, so yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of like our thing basically is when the when the when the uh, horse is out of the barn, it's like oh yeah, whatever. Just it's yeah, we all we all know it's so all you can do whatever. You know, like it's sort of it's just leading up. You just don't 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 don't. Yeah, because you know, they'll send me. They would send me pictures and stuff that I can't show yeah. when in the production. I do. I'm just like, forget it. I'm not. I'm not showing this stuff. And and even that. Even after the fact, sometimes I'll say, to Greg, hey, you might I well show this, and he's like, sure, no problem. But um,
1: I even got where I can't even say the name of the company at times. <laughs> yeah, i thats is that that is, that is yeah. the yeah.
0: hardest question of these podcasts. Is, what are you doing next? And it's like <laughs> nobody wants you to say anything. Oh, you know, it's like yeah, it's like it's like yeah. it's, I can talk about like my novel and going. Yeah, I mean that's 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 meant to me. That's me alone. And you
2: know, L- but yeah, I I just know. like to know that something else might be additionally coming, but you don't have to say what it is. As long as they I know it's that coming, that's all they care I, about. I,
0: you <laughs> know, I I am not just laying on my barco lounger um, all day. No, that may not be true, but uh, <laughs> because I do write very very fast, I have a very fast writer. So, I might write like an hour and do a lot, two hours and do a lot. And then the rest of the day, it's, you know, um, Apple TV and Netflix.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, we want to thank you for joining us Very on the True Lessons podcast, Stephen. And we're looking forward to everything that you got coming out and everything that you've done for so far. Can't wait to see what's coming in the future. Yeah, yeah.
2: kidding.
1: So, it's thank good night you. for myself. Good night, Vicki.
2: Good night, everybody, and thank you, Stephen, for coming.
0: And I guess it really is night nice for you. Night
2: nice. for him. It's not night nice yeah. for me. <laughs> uh,
1: I got finish
2: to tomorrow. Oh boy. <laughs>